0: I survived. When faced with certain death, it takes bravery, determination and plenty of luck. These people lived to tell their stories. I survived a mudslide. Sherry Nemageer's 47, Investment Administrator. It was a long weekend in May 2018, And my partner, Gabe Rosescu, and I were taking a road trip from my home in the Canadian province of Saskatchewan to visit friends in Nelson, British Columbia. We are both adventurous, and we couldn't wait to go hiking and exploring. It was our first trip together after six months of dating. At around 5.30pm on Thursday, May 17, we were driving on a steep mountain road known as the Crow's Nest Highway. I was texting updates to my family and enjoying the view. We weren't aware there'd recently been flooding in the area. When I looked up from my phone, I saw a wave of mud and an enormous tree barreling down the mountain, right in front of our car, a little Hyundai Elantra. Gabe tried to brake, but it was too late. I looked at him and we both said, Oh, shoot! The understatement of the century. The mudslide sent our car plummeting nearly 300 metres down a rocky cliff. It landed on its side among some trees. I don't know how long we were unconscious, but I woke up to the sound of Gabe moaning. He was slumped over the steering wheel, and there was blood everywhere. Outside my passenger window there was a steep drop. Every time I moved, I was hit with excruciating chest pain. I had broken my sternum and my right ankle was smashed and practically turned backwards. Gabe had broken his orbital bone and nasal and cheekbones. Parts of his skull were crushed and his vision was damaged. But the body is an amazing thing and somehow we were both able to crawl out of that wreckage. I was so focused on our survival that I didn't register the wrecked state of the car or where we were. We had no phone signal, so all we could think of doing was to yell for help. But my chest hurt too much to even breathe, so Gabe started shouting as loud as he could. We were shocked when, after just a few minutes, we heard someone call back. Four bystanders had spotted us and were wading through waist-deep mud to rescue us. I couldn't walk, so the men took turns shimmying me up the rock face and helping Gabe make his way up to the road. Gabe was in shock slipping in and out of consciousness, and I honestly didn't think he was going to make it. When the paramedics got to us, they let us kiss each other goodbye from our stretchers as they loaded us into separate ambulances. I was swearing a lot as they took us away. I didn't think I'd ever see my boyfriend again. They took me to the closest hospital, in Trail, and Gabe was airlifted to the trauma hospital in Kalauna. Throughout the flight, they kept shocking him to keep him awake. I was in the hospital for a week and a half, but they kept Gabe for six weeks. My surgeon had to reconnect the main artery in my foot and Gabe's surgeon had to split his scalp open three ways to reattach everything. Even after surgery, I'll walk with a limp for the rest of my life and Gabe permanently lost the vision in his left eye. Before this all happened, we were happy-go-lucky people. We're even more positive now. We look at everything differently. Despite the injuries we sustained, we're grateful that we're still living a pretty good life. The experience also bonded us as a couple. We still go on road trips. A year after the accident, we drove back to the Crow's Nest Highway and gave the finger to the mudslide. I survived quicksand. Ryan Osmond, 34, photographer. The subway is a trail in Zion National Park in Utah that's named for its tunnel-shaped canyon. On February 16, 2019, Ryan Osman and his girlfriend Jessica McNeil, both from Arizona, had the trail to themselves. The National Park Service describes the hike as very strenuous, requiring route-finding, creek-crossing and scrambling over boulders. Nowhere does it mention quicksand. It was sunny when we set out for the trailhead at 8am. Halfway through our 16km hike, a light snow began to fall. Soon after, we entered the subway and its swirling, rust-coloured walls. Standing in our way was a small pond. The trail continued on the other side, and because it looked shallow, we began to wade through, with Jessica leading the way. About 1.5 metres from the edge, Her front foot sank into the sandy bottom. Then Jessica fell forwards and both legs started to sink. I lunged, grabbed her under the shoulders and pulled her out of the muck. She then scrambled back to shore. But now I was sinking. The muck came all the way up to my right thigh and my left calf. I freed my left leg but I couldn't move my right leg at all. Jess handed me a long stick we'd picked up earlier in the hike and I jammed it down the side of my leg and tried to wiggle and pull my leg out. Nothing. Jessica started scooping sand with both hands but it was refilling faster than she could pull it out. I told her to stop. She was wasting her energy. I was not getting out of the quicksand. The only phone reception was back at the trailhead, five hours away over rough terrain. I told Jessica she had to hike back and call for help. She was scared. She'd only ever hiked with me and was wary of being alone on such a difficult trail. Thirty minutes after she left, it started to snow heavily. I zipped up my jacket and pulled my head inside. At some point I nodded off to sleep. I don't know how long I was out, but I woke up as I was falling backwards into the pond and the quicksand. I urgently planted my stick into the dry ground and pulled myself upright. I was exhausted. If I fell backwards again, I'd never be able to get out. It had been about five hours since Jess left and it was getting dark. A few hours later, I saw a light. I prayed it was a helicopter, but it was just the moonlight shining over the canyon walls. At that point, I believed I wasn't going to survive. I started to think about what I could do to die faster. I didn't want to drown if I fell again. That would be the worst way to go. An hour later, another light shone across my eyes. A torch. I yelled for help. A man shouted back as he ran to me. His name was Tim and he said that Jessica had got through to rescuers. The rest of his crew was an hour behind. When the three others arrived, they set up a pulley system. Two of the rescuers held me under each shoulder as Tim wrapped a strap around my kneecap. An anchor strap was tied around a boulder. A fourth rescuer worked the pulley. With each ratchet, it felt like my leg was being ripped off. Tim dug into the sand and got a hand around my ankle and started pulling up. It was agonizing, but I could feel my leg moving. Keep going, I screamed. Three more ratchets and my leg was freed. It was too dark and snowy for a helicopter, so they got me into a sleeping bag, gave me pain medication and we settled in for the night. When I woke up at 6am the next day, snow covered the top of my sleeping bag. Around noon the weather lifted and the rescue team called in a helicopter. My entire leg had swollen to the size of my thigh but when I got to hospital, X-rays revealed no fractures or breaks. I had sat in the quicksand for 12 hours and believed I would die, but I didn't. I survived getting swallowed by a whale. Julie McSorley, 56, physiotherapist. I live with my husband Tyrone in San Luis Obispo, California. Every few years, the humpback whales come into the bay for a few days while they're migrating. In November 2020, the whales were around, so we took out our yellow double kayak. We saw about 20 whales feeding on silverfish. It was incredible. They breached and sprayed through their blowholes and were so graceful and majestic. Each one is huge, about 15 metres long. At the time, my friend Liz Katriel was staying with us. The next morning, I asked Liz if she wanted to go out on the water to check them out. No way, she said. She's scared of whales and sharks and was terrified the kayak would overturn while we were in it. I told her there was nothing to worry about. We got out on the water at about 8.30 the next morning. For the first half hour we didn't see anything. Then I spotted two pairs of whales just past the pier, swimming towards us. It's an amazing feeling to be so close to a creature that size. When whales go down after breaching... They leave what looks like an oil slick on the water. I figured if we paddled towards that spot, we'd be safe from the whales since they'd just left. We followed them at a distance, or what I thought was a distance. I later found out that it's recommended to keep 100 metres away. We were about 18 metres away. All of a sudden, a tightly packed swarm of fish, known as a bait ball, started jumping out of the water into our kayak. Their movement sounded like crackling glass around us. At that moment, I knew we were too close. I was terrified. Then I felt the kayak lift out of the water, about two metres we later learnt, and tip back into the ocean. I figured the whale was going to drag us down somehow and I had no idea how deep we'd be sucked underwater. What I didn't realise at the time was that Liz and I were in the whale's mouth It had engulfed my entire body except for my right arm and paddle. Liz, meanwhile, was looking up directly into the whale's jaw. It was like a big white wall. I was still horrified about being sucked underwater, so I just kept thinking, I've got to get up, I've got to fight this, I've got to breathe. Whales have huge mouths but tiny throats. Anything they can't swallow, they spit out. We were wearing life jackets, and soon we both popped up out of the water about a metre apart. The entire ordeal lasted only ten seconds, but to me it felt like an eternity. A few people were nearby, and someone shot a video of the entire incident. Three or four people paddled over, including a retired firefighter who asked us if we were okay. "'You were in the whale's mouth,' he told us. "'We thought you were dead.' A few days later, I studied the video and saw how close I'd come to being injured or killed. There's no way I'm getting that close to the whales again. I want to respect their space. When we got back to shore, Liz removed her t shirt and five or six fish flopped out. For more RD talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.